to invite uh, Hyatt. Is it Hilford? Alfred. Thank you. And I apologize for mispronouncing it. If you would read the scriptures for us. I want to ask you if you would stand with us as we hear the scriptures this morning. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Hyatt. Though you would not know it, if you were to go to Washington, D.C. this morning and you were to take a tour of a courtroom that is housing the Supreme Court of our land, you would see in that particular building something that many people have forgotten and most people don't even recognize is there, blazoned and ensconced in the marble of that building. It is called the Ten Commandments. And in those Ten Commandments, God has revealed to us His will concerning humanity. The first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. The last six deal with how we should treat one another. And so when you think of those commandments, they're not suggestions, they are expectations that God laid out for all of creation. And God made sure that he, under, he communicated to those who received them that if they did not obey them, if they did not acknowledge them from him, that they would perish from the face of the earth. Even worse, that they would perish from the presence of God. And so when you and I begin to think about what Jesus was teaching in the New Testament, many people confuse and think that Jesus was just a teacher. He was more than that. He was God who was on Mount Sinai delivering the Ten Commandments, now enfleshed with human flesh, God with us, teaching us who God is and what he expects of life today. And so if you were to say, well, what is it that the essence of Jesus is teaching? Where can I find what Jesus taught? You would have to turn to chapter 5 of Matthew, and there is what is called the Beatitudes. That is our term for them, not the Bible's terms. The Beatitudes. Well, what are the Beatitudes? Well, they are simply what Jesus said are part of what makes a good life. And so as Hyatt read this morning from those words, he read a portion of a sermon that Jesus gave called the Sermon of the Mount. And in those days, Jesus would climb up on a hill and the rest of the crowd would stand and listen to him as he would sit down as a custom of that day as a rabbi or teacher. And in, in that acoustical place, by the way, you can go there today and you can see that. You can hear it. 
You can go by the Sea of Galilee and stand on top of the hill and speak in a whisper and the person at the very bottom at the lake can hear you. And so as he was teaching in this place, he began to teach some things that dealt with what, are make, what makes a good life. Now, I don't know about you, but most of the time, and when I think about the Beatitudes, most of the time I hope there is a good life, isn't there? Don't all of you want the good life? Someone was asked one day, what is the, what is the American dream? And the answer from a teenage boy was to have a model that looks like Christy Brinkley, to have a house that looks like Donald Trump's Taj Mahal, and to have enough money that you never have to have a job. That's not the American dream. The American dream was founded on the idea of a country where people could worship God according to their own conscience. Where they could come and have the freedom of worship. The freedom to assemble. The freedom to speak publicly without the concern of being locked up or imprisoned. As some people are even today down in China. In India. And other places in the world. And so when you and I begin to think about this teaching of Jesus... Jesus wanted you to understand what makes a good life. Do you know? Do you even care? It is for that reason we come to this, this part where Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart. Well, what did he mean by that? It just so happens that it's Valentine's month. Did you get your Valentine out? I want you to know I made sure I put it on Facebook that my Valentine said she was going to be my Valentine. I wanted everyone to know. And so when we think of a pure heart or we think of a heart, we think of love, don't we? It's a natural thing. But that particular phrase, pure in heart, is what really trips us up because we think of love. And yes, we are directed by the scriptures to love God. With all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. We're to do that every day. That's why we were created, to love God. But love, as we understand it here in Jesus' teaching, a pure heart is not just emotional love. It is also dealing with our will, our purpose. In other words, it's not something we feel ushy and gushy about. I know some of you young men probably have a cute little honey that you've been having your eye on. And you thought to yourself, if she only liked me, then my life would be perfect, right? You're not answering. That tells me you know exactly what I'm saying. Well, I want you to know, as much as you want someone to love like that in your life, the real issue of the human heart is that we were created to love God, not just emotionally. We were created to love him in our will of choice of what we choose to do with our life. More importantly, the purpose that we have in living. And thirdly, that this heart issue is that we also are to love God with our mind, our intellect, our activity. What we spend our time reading, what we spend our time watching, what we spend our time elevating our thoughts in has a very big part of what it means to love God. And so when we read things or spend our time on reading things that don't elevate those thoughts, we're really not loving God. We're loving ourselves. And we're seeking something different than God. 
And so when Jesus says that blessed are those who have a pure heart, he speaks of, yes, love, but more than that, he speaks of something that's pure. Well, what does that mean, pure? Well, it deals with the fact that something that's not dirty. It's clean. I remember growing up in South Carolina, we had to take a bath on Saturday night, whether we needed it or not, in order to make sure we were squeaky clean when we went to church on Sunday. Thank God some of us did that. The most amazing thing about being pure is that it has something to do with being clean, but not on the outside. It's something on the inside. Are you clean on the inside? That's the question. And yet Jesus said, blessed are those who are cleaned on the inside. And he's using what is called in the English a metaphor, a way of life where we are walking in clean, free from wrong, doing what's right, and that our conscience is clean, our, our faith is pure, our love is sincere. And so when we begin to dig into the words, blessed are the pure in heart, we begin to uncover something that Jesus is teaching us about the good life. And that is the good life, the good life comes when your heart properly loves what is created to be loved and adored with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And there's no guilt involved as if something could be discovered that you would be ashamed of. That's what you think about when you first read these words. The most amazing thing is this is not what Jesus is teaching. The Ten Commandments teach us that. Remember the first one? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship idols. You shall not take my name in vain. Remember? Those condemn us, don't they? Because anyone here knows they haven't loved God in the sense of worshipped Him alone. They have probably made idols meaning they have not worshipped God in the way that he truly is and has revealed himself to be. Well, then what does Jesus mean? Blessed are the pure in heart. Well, interestingly enough, he's speaking about that place where we are free from the adulteration of having a mixture of an allegiance. What do I mean by that? Well... There are reasons people worship God. There are reasons people come to church. There are reasons people may read the Bible or even pray. But one of the things Jesus saw as he was teaching was that when people came to him, they did not come with the genuine motivation that he had come to satisfy. Many people sought him because he healed people. And they went out of their way with their sickness to come to Jesus so that Jesus would heal them. And when he healed them, they went home whole, but not whole in their heart. They only wanted to use Jesus for their own gain. It seems like religion has always been alike that in some ways. 
And so when you think about coming to Christ, when you think about approaching God, there is a danger that you and I have that we will come with mixed motives. You see this teaching in other places in the Gospel of Matthew where in, in Matthew you, you find the, the phrase that really is quite powerful and Jesus talks about it in Matthew 6 that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one or love the other or you will devote, be devoted to one and you will despise the other. And so you cannot serve both God and money or mammon. You can't. You'll love one and hate the other. He goes on in verse, uh, in verse 7 and he says there's a narrow way and a broad way. He says enter through the narrow gate for the wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. In other words... To come to Christ, to come to God, there is one way, it's narrow. But most people think that they can go a different way, this broad way, and it leads to death. You hear it? The third phrase there is from Matthew. It's in chapter 7, verse 21. And Jesus said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. But not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And you say, well, wait a minute. What's the will of my Father in heaven? What's the will of God? Well, John's gospel tells us that in the sixth chapter. The will of God is that you believe in God and the one that he has sent, Jesus Christ. That's the will of God. And yet when you and I begin to think of this, we begin to think, well, then why don't I believe? Because I don't have a pure heart. My heart needs to be changed. It needs to be transformed. This is what Jesus was teaching about the good life. You see, when he spoke and he talked about the beginning of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, a person who is poor in spirit recognizes that that God is holy and just and true and right. He is pure in all that he does. He is holy in all that he does. And I am not. And my sins are ever before me, and I will never be able to live up to God's standard. And Jesus says, when you come to that point, when you have that insight, the kingdom of heaven is for you. He goes on and he says, blessed are those who mourn. Those who not only recognize that they don't live up to God's standard, but they grieve it. They mourn it as if someone has died and they're going, oh God, help me. Jesus says, you'll be comforted. How? By coming to him. His message was repent and believe in him. And so by repenting and believing in him, we find comfort. How? Because we're able to confess our sins before him, knowing that he went to the cross to pay their penalty for us. When Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, the meek are those who realize they can do nothing to change themselves. They need someone to help them do so. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Haven't you wondered why you want to do what's right? Sometimes find it so hard. Jesus says those who hunger and thirst will be satisfied. Why? Because they'll come to him. And through him find satisfaction. 
in that hunger and thirst to be right with God. And then we come to this beautiful phrase, merciful. Merciful is not getting what we deserve. Did you know that? I mean, if we were to get what we deserve, we certainly wouldn't deserve to be here in this place of worship, much less in a relationship with God. And yet through Christ, God has been merciful to invite us into his presence and to believe upon his son. And is that reason then we come to that phrase today, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about that motivation in our lives. And the real question is, what is your motivation? Is your motivation to come to Christ to make others impressed of you? When I was a young boy growing up in the church like this, I used to sit in the pew and I didn't know Christ. And as I sat in the pew Sunday after Sunday, I'd look around and see people and think, these people are just a bunch of fools. Because they come into a building and they bow their heads and they pray to a God they can't see and they don't know and they can't touch and they're not even sure if he exists and they just worship him. And I said, how dumb can you be? And then another thought came in my mind, I'll do the same thing. I'll come to church every Sunday and I'll sit in the pew and I'll sing from the hymn books and I'll do the prayers and I will make people think that I am so good and I sh it worked. Man, I had some of the old ladies eating out of my hand. They would come and grab my cheek. Now this is very South Carolinian. They'd come and grab my cheek and say, you are such a sweet little boy. And I'd think, baby, if you only knew the truth. But I didn't tell them. You see, I had fooled them. And so my, my being in worship had nothing to do with seeking Christ. It had everything to seek the approval of others. The same was true in Jesus' day. Many had come for healing <coughs> or to be impressed that they could be seen with him or touch him. So you know, people do that today. There's some people who come to church because they want to be respectable. There are some people who don't go to church because they want to be respectable. Do you know what their respectability is? They say, well, I'm not going to church because I don't want to be like a, those hypocrites. And they're already hypocritical. You see, the human heart is a fickle thing, isn't it? We can be so twisted in our affections in such ways that when we come to God, we can come with such mixed motives and miss who God is. Totally miss him because of our arrogance, our pride, or our selfish ambition. And when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, he is speaking about that person who comes to understand something different than just loving God it's someone who resists the temptation to be religious if you haven't been around religious people long you know that religious people love to shine they love to make themselves known for the applause of others you know that they also like to whine 
when things don't go their way, they always whine. Well, it should be this way. I like it this way. I want it this way. And then there are also the people who recline, meaning they just come and sit in a pew and they think they've done their bit for God and country. And they miss totally what it means to be pure in heart. Well, what does it mean? Well, Soren, Soren Kierkegaard in the last generation put it best. He said, if you were to write this in a modern English, it would be, blessed are those with unmixed motives. What? Here's what he wrote. Purity of heart is to will one thing, a call for unmixed motives that seek only the will of God. If you've memorized the Lord's Prayer, which is the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, in that prayer we say, not my will, but thy will be done. We're praying for a pure heart. When Kierkegaard put this into the English vernacular, people began to wake up to this truth that what Jesus is teaching is that those who seek God with a pure heart, those who seek to know the will of God and follow it, those who decide they are so serious about seeking God, they will do whatever God asks them to. Those people do not come with mixed motives. They come with a desire to follow and if you turn in chapter 4 to the book of Matthew, the chapter right before we read this, you will find that Jesus did that with the disciples he called. He walked up to them and he said to them, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And at that point, the disciples had to make a choice. If they said to themselves, nah, that's a decision. If they said to themselves, well, why don't we go and see what he has to give us and then we'll figure out whether we want to follow him. That would have been what we call half-hearted commitment. You ever seen someone with a half-hearted commitment? Kind of reminds me of the guy who drove up and decided he wanted to date this girl. And so he, he called her up and said, honey, I want to come take you out. And so he drove up to the house and he said, I am so enamored with you. I want to marry you. And she just laughed and threw her head back and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, but don't you love me? She says, I think you're cute. I always hated that phrase, by the way. You're cute. I knew it was over at that point. But she led him on anyway. And so one night after a date, he decided, I've got to find out if she really loves me. And so he, after dropping her off one Saturday afternoon after the date, decided to find out what she was going to do that evening. He parked outside down the block. And sure enough, another guy came up in his fancy car and opened the door and she got in and drove off with him. And it was at that point he knew she did not love him with all of her heart. That's what it would be like to follow Jesus and say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you, but never to do what he commands. That's half-hearted. Jesus says, blessed are you who are pure in heart. What does that mean? It means you desire 
with your mind, with your soul, with your heart, your being, to come to know who God is and to do his will. And the reward? You'll see God. I, I don't know if you've ever read this passage. It's, it's in Psalms. Psalm 24. Psalm 24. Hear these words. Who can, can ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has a clean hand and a pure heart who does not lift his soul up to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face, O God of Jacob. Do you hear it? When Donald Trump ran for the presidency of the United States of America, he said, I want to make America great again. Do you know what made America great? Honestly? People had a pure heart for God. They wanted to do God's will. Oh, not, not everyone. But the third who founded our nation, by the way, you don't know this, a third of the patriots, or actually a third of the people in our, this country, in the colonies were patriots. A third were loyal to the crown, and a third just didn't care. Those third that wanted a nation that gave the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, the freedom of assembly, signed a document and said, we pledge our life, our fortune, our future to this endeavor. They did it with their whole heart. And Jesus said, if you will repent and follow me with all of your heart, you will see God. Do you think our nation needs God? Hmm. Would you pray with me? <laughs> our Father, as we close our time in prayer, in the Psalm of David, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew my mind and my thinking. Because the days we live in by every testimony of our media for anyone to abandon everything to follow Jesus is foolishness and folly. But the scriptures say the one who does so will see God and live forever. 
Oh, Lord. Give us pure hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together,